The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. You know, shame begins very early on in our lives. It parallels with regret, doesn't it? You know, we're ashamed because we've done something, and, and sometimes we carry shame with us. And um, we've all done things that we regret, things we would be ashamed of if other people found out about it. Are you with me? Uh, there's some things that uh, I have had in my heart and mind that if we put them up on the screen, uh, I would be embarrassed, and so would you if we put those things up on the screen. There's things that we would regret, things that uh, we would be uh, ashamed of. And, and sometimes uh, the word repented or repented, uh, repentance in Scripture uh, means regret, and it does not happen as a result of a work of God, but rather just a work of a, of a person. It's not talking about they repented because God did a work. It's talking about they're regretting something. Uh, they're, they're thinking about it. Let me give you a, a case of this. The Bible talks about uh, Peter when he denied the Lord. He denied the Lord. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly for that. He went out and he wept bitterly. And then later on, we see Jesus coming to him. And Jesus doesn't beat him up about what he did. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, makes a fire and he, he cooks some fish and he calls Peter to it. Now, just the presence of God humbles Peter. As a matter of fact, the presence of God, the Bible says when, when he knew that it was Jesus that was on the seashore, he covered himself. He dove into the water He because he was naked, the Bible says, and he was ashamed. He was ashamed because he was naked. Because uh, he was, if you would, Jesus knew where he was. He knew his condition. He, was, he got caught, if you would. He, was where, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. You understand that Peter was not supposed to be in the boat. He was not supposed to be fishing. He had another calling. God called him to it. Remember, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter went back to his former pro- prof- profession. We call that backsliding. He backslid and uh, he, he wasn't right with the Lord. But Jesus came to him and he asked him, remember three times, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, he didn't say, you denied me three times. That's why I'm going to ask you. But I think Peter got the message, just like uh, we get the message. Now, let me give you another instance where the Bible uses the word repented. The Bible talks about Judas, that Judas repented of what he had done. The Bible says he didn't repent to the Lord, that he repented in himself. He repented in himself. In other words, he was so regretful over what he had done in betraying the Lord. And notice what that kind of shame did to him. He was so ashamed that the Bible says he went out and hung himself. He killed himself because he was so ashamed of what he had done. Now, can I tell you something? That's not godly sorrow. That's not the kind of godly sorrow that God wants to work in our lives. As a matter of fact, God doesn't make us sorry after that kind of sort. God is not uh, here to make you so ashamed that you want to go out and hang yourself, that you want to go out and kill yourself over something that you've done wrong. That's not godly sorrow. And, and by the way, we understand that man can make people feel that way. That there's people in your life, listen, uh, there's, there's shame casters and there's shame catchers. You know, there's people that uh, nobody's ever put a guilt trip on anyone, Right? Never done that, right? Never, never put a guilt trip on anyone. Uh, nobody's ever received a guilt trip, you know, before. Uh, you know, we know what that feels like. Uh, how long does that last? We mentioned, you know, where you kind of say to your kid, listen, now, if you don't say you're sorry, if you, if you don't say you're sorry, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this. what are you trying to, you're trying to guilt trip them into doing what you want them to do. Now, we understand that that kind of 
action is man-made. We can do that to people, and sometimes we get a result that we want to get. But is it long-term? It's not a long-term result. As a matter of fact, what it does is it creates a sneakiness. It creates a behavior that's hidden, if you would, a shame where we begin to hide our sin because we know it's shameful that we have that sin, but we don't want people to know about it. Rather than dealing with it, rather than confessing it and forsaking it, rather than meeting it head on, instead we hide it in our lives. And we all have this nature in us that desires to do that. Rather than making things right, confessing it for what it is, is, and confronting it head on and getting the victory over it, we'd rather we carry it. But we carry it internally. And it's a shame that we carry with us. And, and boy, uh, it, it, it disables us from doing what God wants us to do and, and living a victorious Christian life. Uh, Paul did some things that he regretted. Paul, he had persecuted the church. Paul had locked up Christians. Paul assented to the death of Stephen. Uh, Paul could not, if you would, delete the pictures in his mind of persecuted Christians that he had a part. But notice what Paul said. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. We don't hear from Paul someone who's living in shame. We see from Paul someone who is an overcomer. Someone who has confessed, forsaken, found mercy, and is living in the victory of that. Now, uh, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, there's some things that if you wrote down, I'm sorry for, you're sorry in a, in a sense of regretful of those things, but what we need is, we need what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We need victory, don't we? I don't, I don't want to live in shame. I, I don't want you to live in shame. But there's some things that, you know, in the past, I, I don't know, maybe your childhood or uh, maybe some things that you brought, we all have baggage, don't we? And there's some things that we've done and and come on, how many have ever said uh, or, or heard this said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself? Now, let me ask you a question. Does God want you to be ashamed of yourself? Now, he wants you to be sorry over sin, but he doesn't want you to continue in that sin. He, he doesn't want you to carry, the, if you would, the, the consequences of that sin. He, he doesn't want you uh, to have to continue to be habitually in that sin. He wants to give you the victory over it, doesn't he? What does sin, when it's finished, bring forth? Death. So is not God loving by confronting us with sin and saying, you need to get this out of your life? Listen, if you hide sin, it still brings forth death. If you pretend that it's not there and it is there, it still brings forth death. Even if nobody else knows about it, it still kills it still destroys. And sometimes we, we catch this shame and we, we carry it with us. And, and uh, Paul was, was worried that his reproof of the Corinthian church over their sin was, was going to yield shame or regret rather than repentance. He was worried in verse number 8, he says, he says, For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. He was perceiving that the only thing that happened, if you would, is that they kind of got that kid with his hand caught in the cookie jar, sorry. You know, are you sorry because you did wrong? Are you sorry because you got caught? How many judges have heard, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. And they've heard the words, I'm sorry, but the only reason why the person said they were sorry 
was not because they're acknowledging that what they did was wrong, but they're acknowledging that they got caught for it. And what they're really sorry for is that they got caught. Listen, if you have children, you understand this dynamic. There's a difference between sorry, mom, I got caught, and sorry, dad, I did wrong. There's a big difference in those statements. Sorry, I got caught. Sorry, sorry. And uh, by, by the way, we can see in behavior the difference. Because what happens afterward reveals what kind of sorry they are. What happens afterward reveals what kind of sorry. Listen, if someone says, I'm sorry, but they don't change, they continue to do that. They weren't sorry. They were sorry for getting caught. They were sorry that you saw. They were sorry that you you could see what they did, but they weren't sorry that they did wrong. They weren't sorrowful in the sense of unto repentance, what the Bible talks about. And uh, Judas regretted doing what he did in betraying Christ. Peter wept bitter tears over his denial, but the sorrow led to repentance in his life. I want to just give you two points today and a couple points underneath. But number one, shame. Shame. Shame is, is, is a work of man. Shame is what we can do to people. We can shame people for what they've done. Uh, there's another word, shun, similar to shame. In other words, I'm going to treat you this way because of what you've done, and, and I'm not going to stop treating you that way. In other words, in the shunning, if you would, there's no, there's no um, coming back together in relationship. It's just, you're dead to me. Now, that's not the way Jesus treats us. As a matter of fact, because of our condition before Christ, we were dead to him. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive in Christ. Now, can I tell you this this morning? Uh, in, as far as being without sin, I understand I'm not sinlessly perfect. How about you? But I also understand that I'm forgiven. I understand that I've been redeemed. I understand that I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned. I understand all these things. As a matter of fact, it's what we rejoice about when we sing these songs about the cross and about the blood and about what Jesus did. We've justified, we're redeemed, we're made whole, we're complete in Him. But then sometimes we live so much the opposite of that. We live like we've not been justified, like we've not been redeemed, like we're not complete in Him. And and we live like we're trying to work to that point. Listen, salvation is not of works, and the Christian life isn't either. The works in our life reveal our faith in God. James tells us that. But it doesn't merit or keep salvation. We weren't saved by works, and we don't, we're not kept saved by our works. And we don't lose salvation because of our works. That's the joy of eternal security. That we are kept by the Lord. That we are sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm thankful for that this morning. How about you? Because if you could lose your salvation, you would have lost it already, and so would have I. And this is the thing. A lot of times, the people that are talking about losing your salvation, how do you determine whether someone lost their salvation? Well, it's always man-made determinations. The church that they go to determines that they lost their salvation because they did something and they're not, so no longer, so notice now it becomes the organization of men that, that, that declares whether someone's saved or lost. That sounds, uh, uh, that sounds familiar. I can excommunicate someone and that means that they're going to go to hell. That means that, no, 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 we can't do that. We don't have a say in man's eternal destiny. 
That's sealed with Jesus. That, that's done by the finished work of God. I can't save you. I can only declare the salvation of the Lord unto you. I can only declare the gospel unto you. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. But I can't make you saved, and I can't take away your salvation. The church has no authority to do that. But the truth of the matter is, is some people live like that. They're living, if you would, afraid that somehow something's going to happen where they're going to lose their salvation, and so we, we, we hide things. But who are we hiding from? Not hiding from God. How can we hide from God? Go with, uh, with, with me to uh, Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. It's the first time that we, we see the word shame. They're ashamed, if you would. In Genesis chapter number 3, what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. So when they sinned, what happened? Verse number 7. Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Notice their knee-jerk reaction. Was it to confess their sin and forsake it? It was to cover their shame. They, they, they didn't say, God, where are you at? God, we sinned. God, we sinned. God, we disobeyed you. That's not what they did. Their reaction was not run to God. Their reaction was hide from him. Hide from him. As a matter of fact, hide from him and hide from each other. Because fig leaves was not going to block the vision of God. It was going to block the vision of Adam and Eve to each other. Now, there's nobody else in the garden, just a husband and wife. Why in the world are they ashamed of seeing each other naked? They're husband and wife. So where's that shame come from? It comes from sin because sin is the source of all shame is the source of all shame. That's where it comes from. Uh, it comes from sin. Notice verse number 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden the cool of the day. Let me ask you, was God's behavior any different this day than it was any day before? No, his nature was the same. His, his reactions were the same. God came down to the garden just like he had done uh, the, the, the day before. Did God, was God up in heaven when Adam and Eve sinned? Did he know they sinned? But did it change him? Did it change his reaction? Did it change his behavior? Was he up there like, oh no, what am I going to do now? Oh no, the devil won. Oh no, he, he's gotten them to do wrong. Oh no, God never said, oh no. God came down to do as, just as he had done before. He came down to walk in the, uh, the garden, the cool of the day. And notice, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Notice, this is interesting. What did they use to sin against God? A tree. And they tried to hide behind the trees. They tried to hide behind what God told them was wrong for them to do. They're they're hiding behind it. Listen, how often do we hide behind the things that we're supposed to stay away from? We hide behind our own actions. Our actions are sinful. We hide behind our actions. And by the way, we hide behind the, the sinful actions of others, don't we? Listen, that is revealed later on in this chapter when they talk. What did Adam immediately do? Hide behind the actions of his wife. What did Eve do? Hide behind the actions of Lucifer. So they tried to hide behind the actions of other people. Not I've sinned. Not I've done wrong. Not, no, no. I'm sorry because 
I regret what I've done because I'm going to lose something here. This is not, I don't like how this feels. I don't like this emotion, this shame that's come over, this guilt that's come over me. I'm sorry, I've got to get this off of me. I've got to get this shame off of me. What did they do? They tried to cover themselves. They tried to hide from God. They tried to hide behind the actions of others and the actions of other sins. And what did that bring? More shame. It didn't help them. It just brought more guilt. It just brought more shame. Because when we hide behind our sin, we hide behind the actions of other people, we hide behind our own righteousness. They're, they're rags. They're, they're fig leaves. They were rags. They couldn't cover their sin. They, they couldn't do anything for them. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now God knew just where he was. God's not trying to shame Adam. He's trying to call Adam. Adam where are you? Not physically, spiritually. Where you at? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? What have you done? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? What's this? Confrontation. God confronts. Why is he confronting? He's confronting. He wants repentance. He's confronting. He wants acknowledgement. Notice, they did not do that. They didn't do that. And the man said, the woman which thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. What's he doing? Hide behind somebody else's actions. It's because of them. That's why. That's why I'm doing. That's why I'm doing wrong. Because someone else did this to me. Because someone else treated me this way. Because someone else behaved this way. Because someone else tempted me. Someone else. Someone else. Someone else. What is that? Not taking ownership for your own sin. Keeps you in shame. Keeps you in guilt. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is it thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this. Now, notice, he didn't ask the serpent why he did it. He knew why. He knew the point of all this, but he wanted, he wanted Adam and Eve to see. See what? They had sinned. God wasn't trying to make them, if you would, shamed in a sense of the, the man-made shame, emotional shame that uh, people carry with them. But I want you to notice that the source of shame is sin. Adam and Eve were shamed only after they sinned. There's no shame until sin enters into the world. And what entered in the world? And death by what? Sin. The source of shame is sin. Number two, the season of shame is short. The season of shame is short. Shame has never kept someone right or saved anybody. Shame has never kept somebody right or saved anyone. As a matter of fact, it's why we keep going back to the same sin. Because the season of shame, the wrong kind of sorry, we just go back to it. We go back to it. We go back. By the way, that's the identifiable point that I want you to look in your own life today, just like I have to look in mine. Why do I keep going back to it? Because I'm not really sorry of the godly sort. I'm not really repented. I just am ashamed. I'm just guilty. I'm just shamed. But can, I, want, I want you to see that God doesn't want you to stay that way. As a matter of fact, if you live that way, you're going to live defeated Christianity. You're never going to have the victory. You're just going to go, God doesn't have the power to give me victory over sin. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's what the devil wants you to believe. That you'll never get over that sin. That you'll never break that habit. 
That you'll never overcome that thing that's easily besetting you all the time. That you're just enslaved to it and there's no getting out. Who is that? Whose voice is that? That's the devil's voice. He doesn't want you. He's the accuser of the brethren, by the way. He wants you to feel the shame. He wants you to experience the shame. He wants to lock you in that shame. He wants you to live in that shame. He doesn't want you to have the victory. As a matter of fact, what does the devil do? The devil keeps reminding you of stuff that you already got the victory over. He keeps keeps bringing accusations against you about stuff that you've already asked God to forgive you for. If you truly repented of something, tell him to go where he belongs to go. Tell him to get behind you. You have, by the way, by the Holy Spirit of God, if you're right with God today, you have authority in the name of Jesus to tell the devil to get behind you. To resist the devil and he will flee from you. But only, what? Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, if you're not in submission to God, you have no power over the devil. When you're carrying sin, you can't tell the devil to go away. Because he's telling you about stuff that you have not gotten the victory over. That you're carrying with you. And it's just bringing about guilt. What's it causing you to do? Try to hide it. Is it bringing genuine Christianity into your life? No, it's just causing you to be a fake, plastic. Uh, just, just, and by the way, you know what, people? After a while, they start to think everybody else does that too. They start to think everybody else is fake. Everybody else is plastic. Nobody really is worse. Nobody's really authentic. Nobody, it doesn't really exist. They start to believe it's all a sham. It's all a fake. And before long, they're so disoriented towards the, the church of God, they won't come back anymore. Because they start to think that everybody's living in this shame. Everybody's living in this guilt. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. The source of shame is sin, but the season of shame is short. Shame has never kept anybody right or saved anybody. And then lastly, about shame, the satisfaction of shame is sad. The satisfaction of shame is sad. What does sorrow do? What does the sorrow of the world do? Verse number 10. The last half of verse 10. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. That's sad. What did the sorrow of the world work about in Judas' life? Death. Oh, he was, he, he was bitterly weeping. He was regretful of what he had done. He was ashamed of himself. He went back to the people that uh, had given him the 30 pieces of silver and in guilt declared to them, take it back, take it back. I, wanna, uh, I don't want to betray him, take it back. I can't get this. He couldn't get it off of him because you can't get sin off yourself. You can't get it off yourself. Who washes us and cleanses us from all our sin? Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. Listen, I don't care how many steps you have how many classes you go to, how many times you said you're sorry, how many books you've read, how many psychologists you've seen. It doesn't matter how many times you said you're sorry. Sin doesn't go away on its own or through the merits and works of men. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Isn't isn't it that what made religionists so upset with Jesus is that he forgave sin? They said only God can forgive sin. Yes. He knew that. He was declaring himself to be who they had denied him to be. And in their denial of him, they were wrapped up, condemned in their sin. See, when you deny the work of Jesus Christ in your life, you carry sin. 
and you can't get rid of it. You can't, you can't get rid of it. The uh, satisfaction of shame is sad. Shame has only ever brought hurt and death. It cannot produce life. You can be shamed without being sorry. You can be shamed without true godly sorrow. Listen to me. The prodigal son should have been ashamed of himself, shouldn't he? What did he do? He took his inheritance early. Better, better yet, he basically said, Dad, you're just as good to me as dead. Just give me your inheritance now. I want it now. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this house. I don't want to be in this place. He took it and he left and he wasted it all in riotous living. Now that should have made him sorry. He should have been sorry for that. He did all of that. And by the way, over time, what did it do to him? Just brought him to the pig pen. It wasn't until godly sorrow came in that repentance was birthed in his life. There in the pig pen, when he was satisfying his own belly with the food of the pigs, he came to himself. What happened? He realized what he did. And he was sorry. Not because he got caught, but because of what he had done. He was sorrowful over his sin. You know how we know that's true? Because he never declared himself to be deserving of anything. You know what he said? I don't even deserve to be my father's servant. But my father is good. And he's loving. And he's merciful. And I know he'll forgive me. And so I'm going to go back to him. Listen, that's what we need to remember today. What do we do with our shame? We bring it to the right place. My sin has been nailed to the cross of my Savior, sang this morning, where Satan has no power. Why? Because it's been nailed to the cross. Jesus, the Bible says, he, he nailing it to his cross. Your sin was nailed to the cross of Calvary, and you were never intended to carry it anymore. You know what's sad is we carry it. We live in shame. We live in guilt. We live in regret. God doesn't want us to live a life of regret. He wants us to live an abundant life of joy. But so many Christians are living in shame and regret and guilt. So what's the key? Well, it's number two, sorrow. Sorrow. Look at uh, verse number 10 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. Anybody regret their salvation? Anybody regret their decision to trust Christ? Anybody regret His forgiveness in your life? See, it's not to be repented of. You don't regret that. You don't regret God's salvation, the, the result of godly sorrow. But notice this. The source of sorrow is sovereign. It's godly sorrow. It's not, it doesn't come from man. It's not a man-made, created emotion. We know how to shame people, but we can't convict them, can we? Can you convict a person over their sin? You can't. Neither can I. The preaching of the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit can convict people. That's what the Bible tells us. So Paul is saying, I sent this epistle, which was, by the way, the Word of God to them. And God used the Word of God and the Spirit of God to bring about godly sorrow in their life, which brought repentance unto salvation. And that brought what? Joy. 
joy. Why? Because they got over it. They got the victory over it. He's talking about the source of the sorrow is coming from God. Why would God allow sorrow? Why would God allow us? Listen, why would God allow a man who uh, has a lot and waste it all to get down to the pig pen of life to where he has nothing, nowhere to go? No, because he's a good God. And he knows that when we stop trusting in all the things in this world and we start looking to him, that's where our hope is. That's where our rescue is. Listen, sin brings people low. Sin destroys. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life. He came to offer us life. What is the devil dealing? He's dealing fear. He's he's dealing shame. He's dealing doubt. Uh, He's dealing sin to us. It's destruction to our own bodies, to our own lives. We self-destruct when we live in sin. If you're in sin this morning and there's something in your heart that's unconfessed before God, I I tell you, it's eating you apart from the inside out. It's eating you away. And and you just let that stay in there. If you regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. We we sort of say, my prayers aren't being answered and I have no joy and I don't want to be in the Word. And I start to shun being with God's people. As a matter of fact, I I don't want to be in church and I, I don't want to hear the preaching of God's Word. What happens? That sin is having its way in your life. It's destroying you. It's, it's eating you apart. There's a person just early this morning. Texted them late last night. They don't go to our church. You wouldn't know them if I, I said the name. Sent me. I, I just felt God, God uh, moved on my heart about them last night. I was just praying for him. I sent him a, a text message. and said, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. They sent a message back early this morning. said, thank you so much. But I don't think God... Here's prayers anymore. I don't, I don't, there's no hope. I'm, I'm where I'm, you know what I knew because they answered. I knew there's hope. They answered. There's hope. I said, listen, don't believe a devil's lie. You can't choose your your consequences because of your sin, but you don't have to go through the consequences alone. God is with you and God loves you. God will forgive you. Stop asking God to bail you out of your consequences and ask God to forgive you for your sin. You know what so many of us do when we get in the consequences of our sin? Go, God, get me out. Oh, God, bail me out of my... And what's God saying? You're in that situation because of your sin and you're still holding on to it. You're not saying, God, I'm sorrowful over my sin. I've done wrong. God, please forgive me. I got no excuses. I got no excuses Instead, we're, God, I'm in this situation. God, I don't deserve it. God, I don't like this. God, this is uncontrolled. God, get me out. God, get me out. God, get me out. And God says, you're in there because of your sin. And it's supposed to change you. I'm trying to work godly sorrow in your life. It's sad when people don't recognize the hand of God in their lives. It's sad when people don't see that God is trying to work about repentance in their lives. It's sad when people blame their situations and their circumstances on God, when, when God's got them right in the place to where they got nowhere else to go but turn to God and cry out to God. Can I say this to you, friend, that is a loving God that would do that, that would sustain their life and keep them in a place where the only place they have to look to is God. That's a loving God. That's a merciful Father. That's a good God. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Listen, God is not slack concerning his promise. God, God wants to save. He that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. But what's he want? He wants them to come to him. 
Oh, if you just come to Jesus this morning, he'll, he'll get you out. He'll get you out, not out of your consequences, not out of your circumstances, out of your sin. And by the way, you'll be able to be changed and you'll be changed to meet those circumstances and to go through those circumstances, not alone, but with God and with his help and with his power. Come on, after you got saved, did life become easier? It didn't become easier. In some respects, it became harder because we have now an understanding of life. And it becomes harder because we have a knowledge of things. And God never promised that everybody else in life would be fair to us. He just promised that he's good. He just promised that he's faithful. And we're allowing what others have done to keep us from living the Christian life we ought to. The season of sorrow is sanctifying. Not as the source of sorrow sovereign, but the season of sorrow is sanctifying. Look at verse number 11. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... Notice the response. What is this season of sorrow? What did it do in their lives? What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You know what's awesome? God gets vengeance on sin. He gets vengeance on sin. What does sin do? Destroys, it kills. But what does God do in your life? He kills it. He gets vengeance on sin. He takes the poison in your life, the cancer in your life, and he kills it. He kills it. He undoes its power. He gets vengeance. Hey, what vengeance? It's not talking about they got back at people that did wrong to them. It's talking about that God took his vengeance on their sin. Their sin was dead. It was gone. What desire? Their desires changed. What zeal? What zeal? They had a passion for living for God. They had a passion for holiness as God is holy. They had a passion for God's word. They had a passion for his church. They had a passion for preaching the gospel to every creature. Hey, their passions changed. I don't know what your passions are this morning, but if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he'll change your passions. He'll change your directions. He'll change your destination. He'll change everything there is to know about this world in you. He'll change your mind. We become transformed by the renewing of our mind. Is that not repentance? our mind gets changed you change your mind God wants us to change our mind doesn't it change your mind about how you look at this life how you look at this world how you look at yourself satisfaction of sorrow is salvation lastly the satisfaction of sorrow is salvation verse number 10 for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation The satisfaction of godly sorrow is salvation. Jesus saves. But he doesn't save until you acknowledge sin. What kind of people need a Savior? People that need help. You don't need a Savior if you're okay. You need a Savior if you're lost. You need a Savior if you're in trouble. You need a Savior if you're condemned. You need a Savior if you're at the end of your rope. You need a Savior if if you're lost, you're undone, you you don't have anywhere else to go. That's what you need a Savior. How in the world we call Jesus Savior anymore when we're just trying to add him to our good life? You know, there's there's some preachers that are preaching Jesus that way. Hey, just receive Jesus this morning. Just receive Jesus. All they're saying is receive Jesus. Add him to your life. Just add him to your life. No, no, no. Lose your life. Lose your life. Give up your life. Take, Take on his life. 
Boy, that's the call of the cross. The call of the cross is death. The call of the cross is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, is that we died with him, that our sins are nailed to the cross, that our flesh, our sin, all of it, it dies. Listen, when, uh, if you got baptized, what happens? You died with Christ. You're buried with Christ. You rise with Christ. Resurrection, friend, that's what happens when we get saved. We get born again. We, we, we get a Savior that rescues us from what? From our sin. What's our sin doing? It's killing us. We need a Savior. He's the, he's the only hope. He's the only hope. We've made Jesus out to be some self-help uh, guru, some philosopher, some, some just, you know, oh, Jesus had good words. Let's read the good words of Jesus. The good words of Jesus. Jesus spoke with authority. He's God. He is God. He was God in the flesh. He's a Savior of the world. He's not a self-help guru. Je- Jesus is not here to make your life better. He's here to give you life. You didn't have life. You didn't have life. You come to him and say, God, I don't have a life. As a matter of fact, everything that I'm doing in my life is just bringing death and destruction. I'm not happy. I don't have joy. I'm not satisfied. That's God. That's godly sorrow. He says, you're lost. You need me. God wants to work that out in your life. The satisfaction of sorrow's salvation. God's intention in life is not that we should live in shame which doesn't bring about the result of a victorious Christian life, that we should experience godly sorrow, which works repentance in our lives. We are living in shame if we haven't experienced sorrow. Once we have experienced godly sorrow, we will no longer carry our shame. That's the truth this morning. If you have godly sorrow this morning, you won't live in shame anymore. You won't live in regret anymore. You know what you begin to do? You look back on your life and say, oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, look at my background. Look at what I've done. Look at my past. God used all of that to bring me to himself. What a great God. God could even use my sin. God could even use my bad life. God could even use my bad choices and use them all to bring me to him. He used them all to bring me to himself. And God did all of these things because he loves me. You know what you start to do? You don't regret it anymore. Oh, not that you're happy that you sinned. Not that you're happy that you wasted some of your life. You're not happy over those things, but you start to say, no regrets. No regrets. I'm not regretting what I've done anymore because it's not there anymore to regret. It's gone. Here's the thing. I will remember them no more. He doesn't remember my sin. He doesn't remember it. But we remember it. But he doesn't. He's never going to speak about it. He's never going to bring it up. If that doesn't make you happy this morning, I don't know what will. He's never going to bring it up. Because we have a good father. We have a merciful father. We have a perfect father and he loves us he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to just be sorry he wants us to have sorrow that works repentance you know what jesus did he despised the shame he despised the shame he endured his cross despising the shame Set down to the right hand of the throne of God. You know why? He didn't regret the cross. 
despising the shame. The shame of the what? They stripped him naked. They tried to shame him. Was Jesus ashamed when he hung on the cross? Not for a second. Not for a second. They stripped him naked. He hung naked on the cross. The perfect, holy, wonderful Savior hung naked on the cross for the most selfish, dirty thought I've ever had. He did that for me. And he's not ashamed of me. He was not ashamed of you. Don't lose me this morning. He's not ashamed to bear the cross for you. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed. Now we understand Paul when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God of salvation to everyone that believeth. We're not ashamed to be identified with Christ. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.